1: So the big toe is 120% of your body weight goes to the the head of the big toe. Mm. That's by far the most.
0: Good movement and welcome to Redefining Yoga, a movement by Laura podcast, which is designed to investigate all aspects of the modern evolution of yoga from my background as a physical therapist and lover of movement. My mission is to help everyone find freedom through smarter and safer movement patterns so that together we can be uplifted and benefit all beings everywhere. Today, I have a very special guest for the second time, my brother, John Frank. We- Thank you. <laughs> um, if you didn't listen to his first podcast, make sure you listen to that. We talk about um, just basically our history together, how we came to this place of both being physical therapists and lovers of movement, a little bit about our history. But if you missed that, just briefly, John is my triplet brother. We are, That means we were born at the same time, not exactly the same time. I was about eight minutes earlier. And... We have another triplet brother who is identical to John, who is a doctor. So we all went into the health field. And so John is um, not only my brother and my friend, but I really look to him for a lot of information. He is always getting knowledge about the body, about systems, about science, about history. And so um, I love asking his opinion about um, things that come up for me with clients that I'm kind of stuck with and he is in a clinical setting in a different way than I am so I also can get feedback from the stuff that he sees and I ask everybody to send in questions for John so I've kind of brought them into like five categories because there is a lot of great questions he will be a regular guest so don't worry if your question isn't answered today but I wanted to um, kind of serve the the masses um, some people wanted quantum physics and <laughs> Some people will be interested in that. Some people won't. I would go to Princeton Uh, (laughs) University for that. Yeah. Um, But first, um, let's talk about, well, you just came from running. So John is a big runner. He went through running. um, We talked about it in high school and then college. And then he had a period of time where he stopped running. And then he started it up again. So can you talk to people about who either are starting running for the first time or who have been injured and running maybe even were injured because of running um and they're starting off again what are some recommendations you would make in terms of like what should they start doing should they start running on certain surfaces how much mileage how many days a week do that what's what's the best thing about form i know that's a lot of questions so just here we go go um so
1: it in general you want to you know whenever you start again running or for the first time you want to um, kind of start easy uh, or low mileage maybe walk run intervals this is the general principle of whatever you're doing lifting weights for the first time or doing yoga even to start small and gradually um, ad- ad- let your body adapt to the stresses um, now I-, I would think uh, some of the i think the Greatest predictors of problems with running is uh, inability to balance yourself, including the picking up one foot on one leg. Uh, running is a series of kind of little hops uh, on one leg. You hop to the other. Um, if you go faster, it gets more uh, ballistic or more of a, a kind of like a jump roping, but one leg jumps to the other. Um, And it's very important to be able to absorb the impact forces, which increase greatly when you run. And one of the most important things uh, that you need to do is to stabilize the pelvis and the hips. Uh, So you have to have a very strong glute medius, uh, which is a side uh, one of the side gluteal muscles as well as the upper glute max and glute minimus. So if you're standing and you lift one leg, and it's important that you just don't hold on to something, lift the leg and then let go of the hands because it's really the transition that's uh, very important. Um, if you pick up a foot and you have a trouble balancing, uh, it could be due to a lot of things, but the primary uh, uh, area that you want to look at is your your pelvis and your hip. Um, uh, so the gluteus medius, if your lower hip, if the other, if you pick up the left leg and the left side of the pelvis drops and you can't control that, and you kind of start to fall sideways, that's weakness. And you try a couple of times. Sometimes you got just you know you haven't tried it for a while. You have to. Uh, you don't do this every day so you gotta learn sometimes you have to just learn what how much muscle power it takes or, muscle, or what kind of coordination but if you really can't do it, uh, it can, and it and that pelvis t- tends to drop and you tend to fall to the side or you compensate by t- uh, leaning your trunk to the leg to standing this is called trendelenburg compensation uh, what's happening there is your center, when you lift a, a, a leg, your center of mass is now to the inside of your base of support, that one standing foot. So gravity tries to pull you sideways. Um, so the human pelvis was evolved to withstand the bipedal forces. Now, this has been going on for 7 million years. They found the first hominids that are bipedal. And uh, compared to uh, our ancestor in uh Uh, Current apes, other apes like gorillas, chimpanzees, they can't stand on one leg. They have a pelvis that faces backwards only. And our pelvis in this longer, our pelvis is wider and wraps around uh, sideways. So the gluteal muscles, the glute medius especially, in the chimpanzee or gorilla um, orangutan is just can't extend the flexed leg. So it helps you climb um, the tree along with the hamstrings. But with humans, because that uh, gluteus medius wraps around to the side, it can now, if you pick up a leg, if you're on one leg, it can balance the uh, the force of gravity on one side of the lever arm, which is your hip, or, or fulcrum, which is your hip. It can now produce a torque on the other side or a rotational force to balance out the gravitational force that's trying to pull you sideways. So if you have a hard time, even after trying a, a, a lot of times, uh, to balancing, keeping your pelvis level and just kind of uh, being able to pick up the leg and stand on one leg uh, with ease, that it could be your gluteus medius is weak. And that's gonna be a lot of trouble if you start running and putting impact uh, forces about three to five times your body weight. So that's a very simple test that, and this is also a, um, one of those um, is is a, a test can become a exercise too, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, so that's that's right. And, and you're looking too if if the knee rolls in, that would be the um, the gluteus maximus, the lower part, as well as some other hip external rotators that are deep inside, uh, close to the hip joint that control the um, uh, thigh rolling in too much, uh, which is normal when you land um, in running. Your thigh rolls in, but the it shouldn't roll in too fast. Or it shouldn't rotate inwards. In other words, or the knee shouldn't go in so much. It, it's normal to have it a little bit. Um, so if your knee goes in, um, you can't like, and so that's a uh, it's called knee valgus um, or uh, uh, or uh, femoral internal rotation, where the the thigh bone rolls in excessively. Uh, that can lead to uh, forces in the inner meet knee in the joint. It can lead to patellofemoral pain, the most common cause of it. So those are so single leg stance is really is a very is probably the most important thing I look at. But there are others. Yeah, of course.
0: I think that I'm um, so. I think what John is really telling us is if you want to start something like running, where you are in you're upping your impact on your joints and the impact on the tissues that surround the joints, then you need to really, really, really up the stabilization at those joints, in particular the, the hip, because that's, in the, that's your center of mass that's moving forward. And a few episodes back, I talk about the importance of neutral pelvis. And this really goes, uh, n- neutral pelvis is really important just in standing and posture, but it becomes super important when you're adding momentum, gravitational forces, and all of that. So yes. for those of you who have run and have gotten injured, um, and this could be down the chain. So this could be, like he said, femoral in your knees, also chondromalacia in the knees. Um, it could be in, uh, t- the, in the tibia and the shins, shin splints. It can be behind the um, on the backside of the leg and the gastroc and the Achilles and plantar fasciitis. All of this can in a lot of ways just be Solved, or at least um, remedied, by strengthening in the hips, in particular, in that one-legged stance.
1: Right. Y- yes, and that's when you're walking. The glutes, uh, really, the calf and the uh, the front shin muscles are the only thing that's really are active. But when you start running, the glute medius, especially the glute max, really start to. If you take an EMG or your muscles, if you run properly, that really should start to fire a lot. That's the key. The glutes uh, is one the, is one of the reasons why we have big glutes. Um, uh, the running, which started well, out, we hope we do, <laughs> or functional <laughs> in all glutes. the good ways, yeah. yes, yes. So,
0: I like big butts and I cannot lie.
1: <laughs> all right, well, okay, sorry, I'll let you
0: side note on that. Um, no, but big butts in a good way, like the glutes, uh, being strong, you know, you, again, if you look at these olympic especially the sprinters man their their glutes are amazing cuz they've got they've got to, they've got to um, excel they've got to really um, have that explosive force so their glutes have really got to turn on quick and fast not just kind of um casually yeah I mean
1: even even long distance runners they tend to have very thin legs um skinny calves cuz a, a lot i mean this is the general the average but they have very in, uh, strong glutes because mm-hmm. uh, that's the motor of running uh, uh again the glutes don't turn on too much when you're walking um uh, but you really for lifting stuff um, heavy lifting posture is important but it's, especially for running glutes are a key um, right. so
0: yeah okay so um speaking of running another thing people have written about and this actually could not just be running but walking people will sometimes out of nowhere start to have pain in their feet. And can you just talk a little bit about like what are your what are your recommendations? If somebody comes in and they have plantar fasciitis or they have bunions on their feet and um, they have generalized foot pain, what would you what would you recommend? What do you think are well, the biggest causes of these issues? Well, I
1: can't tell you what the biggest cause. Is. I mean, yeah. and it's and it's uh, you know the she whole is. podiatrist will not some some uh, some a lot of podiatrists still recommend after a year of age. To wear these stiff shoes mm-hmm. um, and then as we get older we get these shoes that have um, the uh, 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 elevated heel toe drops so the heel is elevated compared to the toes um they tend to have a, a what we call um heel um, um uh posting which means you look at the back of your shoe you'll find that the heel of the shoe of like a typical athletic shoe mm-hmm. tends to be wider and longer than your than your heel that's called posting now what that does does is when you hit the ground uh, outer heel or outer midfoot, it the ground hits back it's called ground reaction force and that's how you actually move uh, Newton's third law for reaction there's the opposite and equal reaction but if you have this um, a, a, a heel counter that's wide and long bulky you'll just see they're typically bulky especially protect your your heel which in some ways it does a little bit um, but it, it doesn't it in, in not the great greatest manner but anyway the ground hits um Hits hits your body that extended heel further away from the ankle, knee, and hip joint. So if you think about levers, uh, lever arms, um, it increases the rotational force. Uh, if you think of a seesaw or a, a screwdriver, uh, the, the longer, the further away the force is to the axis of rotation, the more force will produce. So if you have a you know a heavy person on the end of a short end of a seesaw. And it can be balanced by a lighter person as long as that that side of the seesaw is further away from the fulcrum so so when the ground hits you um, with those extended heels, it produces more torque, uh, rotational force of the knee, more what we call varus torque in the knee, and more flexion torque in the knee. It's really awful. Mm. Um, it also puts your...
0: Wait, this is all coming from the heel box? The, the, the heel wider, counter, the, yeah. Okay, yeah. the, and the people, way that shoes are made.
1: Yes, and intuitively they seem like, oh, that should make you more stable because there's a wider, wider surface, basis of uh, mm-hmm. like a snowshoe. But it doesn't work that way when you run. You hit it at one point of contact, and then the ground hits back. Now, normally, um, it's, uh, it's you know, normally it's, it's a smaller torque. So, and you want that to happen. You want the foot to roll in and pronation to absorb the impact to accommodate the surface. But when it happens very quickly with a lot of force or a lot of rotational force torque, it it plays havoc on your on your, your joints because there's a huge amount of force that you have to control more than mm-hmm. the body was meant to because your heel is not that wide or right. long
0: and what's interesting too is i think in um then they then they give you the pronation control you know what i mean then, then they're like mm-hmm. pushing some some shoes not all of yeah. them like they well i mean if we're talking running shoes but they give you this like rigidity there so that almost blocks what would be a natural
1: right pronation is normal and right. is desirable it's mm-hmm. how you it's part of your how you absorb impact as well as you load the plantar fascia and ligaments in the foot to act like a rubber band so you uh you absorb some of that energy um and then you return it as elastic energy so um um, so
0: footwear is a problem, in other words, for a lot of the foot issues that are existing. Is, so, what would I you would recommend? Say yeah, all, yeah. You,
1: I mean, there are some people who still don't wear shoes. Um, and, and there's very, there's a, I won't get into the depths of when, like, there's certain time period that if you wear shoes, um, that are kind of blocked the normal movement of the foot, it can actually cause permanent problems. Mm. Um, so
0: well, this wow. is a sidebar. Our dad is an orthopedic surgeon and he told our mom um not to put shoes on her. F- Did you remember that story that he he I said know. like don't cuz he'd seen so many kids who come in well he knows all this these principles but he didn't allow us to wear shoes unless we absolutely had to um for as long as possible. I think maybe until we went to nursery school or stuff like that but he really um, knew that that development of the natural muscles of the feet and the mechanics of the foot, the, the arches that are there are, 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 you know, affected by the shoes that we put on kids. And everybody thinks it's so cute. Oh, put a kid, you know, put a kid in shoes as soon as they can walk. And it's probably probably the worst thing to do for them. They really need to develop those um, intrinsic muscles of the feet. So for new moms out there, um, keep your kids barefoot as much as possible. Obviously, if they go outside and it's cold, I mean, there's you know, you don't want them walking on glass and stuff like that. But within reason, really keep them barefoot because they need those that musculature. Oh,
1: absolutely, and it's so. I mean, it's kind of a weird logic too. It's like, well, you know, you would never put someone put in a back brace because you want to keep the back stable. It's fragile. You want to protect the back. Uh, most people intuitively know. If they wear a back brace, they're going to weaken. But the shoe, though, there's a weird um, kind of, um, to say, weird sense that you have to protect the feet, that you got to support the foot. And it's really, it doesn't, there's no reason why you should support the foot any more than you should support the back with a stiff Race. That's a good um, analogy. So it's I'm not sure how it got that way, but yeah. there's a there's some theories about it. But
0: well yeah. speaking of the foot, so so um so probably many of the people that are listening, uh including myself, have been wearing shoes for many, many years and might have some I, I I'm barefoot a majority of the time now just because I can be. Um, and I often recommend the toe spacers that you recommended to me Mm -hmm. and you can acquire these online. There are lots of them. So I'm sure if you have ones that you would recommend, let us know. But the ones that we recommend are are called correct toes. They're a little bit more pricey than some of the other stuff, but I think they're the longevity is there. The, um, the material is really great. They're, um, very dense silicone and they, uh, they open you up, your toes up. So this is really great for people that have uh, t- the, a really a rigid foot from putting it in a shoe all the time, and they need to open up the fascia between their toes um, underneath and um, realign that um, the toe, the, the hallux, the big toe that can get very rigid and can create. You can get create a bunion. If your bunion is there, you can at least improve it. And you certainly can prevent it if you start to put some of these toe spacers in. Now, here's the key. You have to put them on and then wear them weight-bearing. <laughs> so some people say, oh, yeah, I put them on when I was watching TV and I was on the couch. And uh, that might do something, but you need to have your weight distributed there to help that um, the opening happen. So correct toe. Maybe they'll even... Maybe it'll be one of our sponsors one day. Um, <laughs> anyway, yeah, I mean, um, for also in the foot, w- w- people ask me all the time, what do you think about like rolling it on a tennis ball? And what, what are your thoughts about like um, opening up the fascia, the feed through that type of stuff?
1: I, I, I mean, I'm a little dubious. Uh, I mean, I think that can help people, but you know, the biggest thing is t- get the foot just, you know, allowed to, uh, you make it allow to, that's kind of band aid type stuff. Mm-hmm. Just allow the foot to function the way it should so another important kind of aspect of most shoes are is a tapered toe box if you take out the insole and you put your foot on it now assuming that your foot hasn't like acquired the shape of a of the shoe right uh most of the time the the ends of the toes will be wider than the Insole. And that means, you know, the tips of the toes should be the widest part of the shoe uh, or widest part of the foot, not the balls of the feet. So even New Balance, which is kind of, you know, it, it claims to have wide toe boxes or wide toe boxes, but it's still, it's still widest at the balls of your feet, not the tips of the toes. Um, so the big toe is 120% of your body weight goes to the the head of the big toe, mm. that's by far the most, uh, the second metatarsal, the sec- second kind of part of the second toe, um, is about, um, about 25%. And the other three metatarsals, the other toes and the bone right before the toes, have very little weight bearing when you push off, um, it's off actually gets, goes off, um, the, the ground. So the big toe has to be in good alignment. So it has to be not pushed in, it has to be in the line with the rest of the arch and inner foot. And so it can, uh, the toe, the big toe has these, you know, the kneecap is for the knee, the patella. It's a sesamoid bone, which is a floating bone that improves the lever arms. So the big toe has two of them. Um, So it improves the lever arm to control the forces going through the big toe as you Push off, and it, as the foot leaves the ground and is supported by that, the ball of the first um, metatarsal. Um, but when that big toe is pushed to the inside, those meta, those sesamoid sesamoid bones, um, that, are, um, instead of the quadricep for the kneecap is, it's a flexor hallucis brevis muscle that's there to support the uh, the weight uh, going through the big toe. The kneecaps the, the sesamoid bones are, of bones are moved to the side mm. and so they get they get useless so it's uh when the big toe is pointing in um it, it really can't bear the weight effectively
0: which kind uh, of looks uh, if you're imagining it that, that, that's what when you a bunion starts to form that's the toe starts to turn in towards the second toe and that's what he means by pointing in so you've kind of lost that um alignment and all of the mechanics that help take that 110% of your body weight and and then return it through the body as opposed to really it's being kind of a good amount of that energy is being lost if it's not coming up it's
1: getting lost and usually turns it gets dissipated in other other ways shearing forces Mm -hmm. Uh, just think try to pick up a hammer and try to hammer it without holding the hammer with your thumb it's the same thing as trying Mm. to um, the big toe and the thumb are very analogous and you'll hear this bothers me. You'll hear uh, people say, "Well, it's hereditary. My mom got it." Mm-hmm. Well, it could be hereditary only in the fact that females have uh, tend to have looser tendons and ligaments and stuff, and they, because they're female, they tend to wear shoes that are more tapered. But there's nothing inherent. Um, if you uh, if you look at they still societies or population societies that the people don't wear shoes much. And they they usually have no feet problems. They can have some other issues, but they have beautiful... So they don't f- tend
0: to have back issues either. Because <laughs> most, well, most of them are squatting, you know, a lot of the time. So that's yeah. probably where it comes from.
1: Or they're farming. I mean, if yes. you're farming, that might be different. Yeah. But their feet are fine because it, it's really, it's one of those interogenic, uh, which means it's, uh, it's, it's man-made. It's uh, a man-made
0: issue. Man-made issues. Yeah, uh,
1: it's not. Has it's as, it's really a it's um and it's it's a, it surprises me that most podiatrists don't see this right because it's so glaring obvious when you just think about it and look at the shoes, um, you know. Well,
0: really- I think a lot of the problems. Sorry, sorry to interrupt you, but I think a lot of the problems that um that happen in 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 defense of any any of these doctors or even PTs, you know, if somebody has. Um, these are kind of bigger issues of daily life, and sometimes, again, putting a bandaid on something seems like well, that's basically better than doing nothing. Because to actually, we talked about in our first episode, educate education is going to take longer. It's going to take more um, commitment from both the teacher and the student. What if that's a patient or a PT or a doctor? You know, the the role of those. One learning and one giving the information. That just takes longer and then, and then having the person follow through. So we all need to follow through with instructions if we want to have these longer term um, good results as opposed to just kind of the fix it, the band aid. Yes,
1: know? yes. But you'd be surprised. Sometimes if you point out something that they hadn't thought of before, mm-hmm. uh, what we call trigger pain triggers. Mm-hmm and you just tell them don't do this anymore so it really is it it, it takes no time so for instance if they continually they you know, everyone bends down tie their shoes they pick up stuff they pick up stuff on the dresser on the floor and they use their spine and they continually have back pain and you know you can put heat on the stuff but if you just show them not to sit slumped and to Whenever you bend, bend from the hips. Um, that can that doesn't have to take too long. Sometimes, if you have to retrain the, the brain to, or you have to, sometimes takes longer than others. But some people can do it. They just didn't realize that that was the trigger. Um, and if you can take that away, if you can, if they can even, like not do that fifty percent of the time, that's 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 the most important thing. Be- mostly is about just looking at their lifestyle, their daily habits and identifying what triggers it and explaining why. Sometimes it's simple, sometimes it's not. Often it's simple and you can get a lot of the pain control by just not going into those bad mm-hmm. positions. And it's often not necessarily, doesn't require too much strengthening at first. You just have to eliminated triggers pain triggers and sometimes this is uh, it's pointing out because no one's ever told them all they're told is oh like for back pain you gotta have strong abdominals so you know they do stuff that can make it worse but they're really not identifying the movements the the postures the capacity that they're that they're putting their backs, uh, is this, this stress is daily stresses, which are usually a lot of times not necessary and can, can, can quickly be fixed. And hopefully the patient or the person will soon learn that moving better can not take any more time. It doesn't take mm-hmm. any time out of their life and they can see that they feel, they feel better. So that's, That's usually the, you know, that can help about 50% of people. I find that almost immediately they can feel much better if you just identify Mm -hmm. the pain triggers and explain to them.
0: That's actually a really good way of, of for, for those of you out there, to find good PTs and doctors and personal trainers and all of it is who is spending the time with you to identify what your imbalances are and how you can pay attention not only in, at the moment that you guys are together, but in your daily life. Um, the, those type of people are the ones you want, the educators who are really looking at this very global movement um, system of your body and, and what you're doing to either improve it or improve you know, how your body feels or not. So look for those type of um, therapists and physicians, but I address all of it. Um, so going on from the foot, uh, let's just give everybody that, might be out there that wants some foot tips, uh, closing off the foot before you move on to another area of the body, but foot stuff. What are things that people can do besides walk barefoot? Uh, maybe the, the heel heel raises where you're really pushing down into that big toe mound?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, and I think yoga is perfect for building. Uh, I mean, yoga mm-hmm. is, is almost like a built-in exercise for your feet. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's almost perfect for it. Uh, I've had people who I've helped a lot, and they and I and I encourage them to take yoga, and they they did much better because they're barefoot. Mm-hmm. They have to balance, um, and it's uh, it so that yoga is usually a built-in, yeah. great therapy for your feet there more than more than anything else. I mean, I, yeah. it's almost you know you, you got to get you know obviously some yogas are uh, if you're more on your back most of the time, but. The active yoga is is done barefoot is a great way to strengthen the feet. And just to, I encourage people just to take off their shoes, you know, just walk around barefoot in the house. And if you... How about
0: somebody that's sitting at their desk for eight hours and you would say like, hey, kick off your shoes. And while you're sitting there, maybe do some...
1: There's there's something called toe yoga, which... um, Appropriately, but if you go to YouTube, uh, you can type in toe yoga, and uh, it's just it, it's just it's an easy way. You can take off your feet, uh, sitting. You can take off Don't your take shoes. Off your and, uh, yeah, take off your shoes and socks, and you can exercise the intrinsic muscles. Again, I encourage people to look at uh, stuff like uh, uh, limbs shoes, this LEMS or zero shoes. They have these dress shoes that are zero drop, um, wide toe boxes uh was were made to look good uh look like dress-up shoes work shoes but are you know there to allow your foot to function normally i mean i mean it goes without saying that high heels are not going to be good for your feet but how many people still wear high heels as Mm -hmm. you see
0: well, and it's interesting because getting on that note, because I've actually had people say, oh, it feels bad when I don't wear my high heels because the tissues have adapted to that tightness. Right. And so they get into like that regular neutral heel. So it's not, it's more level and it pulls on the plantar fascia and the heel cord. So they have obviously. I'm just saying that don't, don't just continue wearing high heels because sure. it doesn't feel good. Otherwise you have to, it's only going to get worse. So you have to start walking around with without being in high heels and seeing. An so you can
1: taper down. You can, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, everyone's, yeah, you have to you respect your body and where it's been. So you might have to uh, gradually kind of work down your the heel-toe drop and stuff like that. Gradually work that, work how much support it gives. If your muscles are weak from, I'm sure the muscle's going to be weak. So, you know, that's what happened when there's uh, a lot of people started running with it vibrams and the five fingers um they started um you know too fast they, too
0: soon they have they were they didn't get their um so the vibram five fingers makes your the, the, those are those funny looking shoes and they it's a great idea it came from this idea of barefoot running but bare, people that are barefoot running have been doing that for a long time yeah. so you can't just go right from running in this big um solid rigid shoe to running in vibram and you're you're it like with like john said the, analogy with the um, a brace on the back. If it's like all of a sudden you just freed your back and started taking it through these big ranges of motion, it's it's not ready for it. It's yeah. um the foot has to adapt to
1: and probably no, to most people can't run with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you really have to, yeah. I mean but you can certainly walk around with those shoes and you can run with thinner shoes. This is mm-hmm. like uh you know thinner shoes. That's where I use ultras, which are and that has a little cushion it has a wide toe box zero drops so it's it, i can really my foot's fairly it feels like it's working pretty naturally with some protection so um so uh i was gonna say shoes are i would say almost 100 percent of the reasons why right. people have foot problems i mean not to uh, you know that, that's really it's it's true um and um I recommend you go to the website with Ray um, McCallahan. I think his name is. He's in Portland. He's like a guy who invented correct toes, but he has a lot of good material about feet and it's really, and, and YouTube stuff. So I, I've learned a lot from him. So mm, um,
0: good. All right. Well, moving on from the foot, and you were just talking about how yoga is like the perfect thing for the foot and yoga is also great for the entire body. Uh, but in terms of low back, tell me what you think. I know what I think. I think we think similarly on this. What What are some things that are that that yoga does in general, like vinyasa specifically, that is great for the low back? And what what things would you say definitely are not great for the low back in yoga?
1: Well, I mean, so in general, there's a general principle. You want people with low back pain tend to have weak and or stiff hips. Um and just really, you, you think of the whole um, they call it the lumbopelvic hip complex. You, you want to think of the pelvis back and hip as almost one complex. So when people have back pain, they usually look at the back, or historically and even most people now, and they'll try to fix the back. They'll yeah, you know, they'll strengthen the muscles around it. Some is necessary. you have to have you know enough muscle strength, but it's really more than that. And often the the exercises that strengthen the back are are detrimental to the back, so because they cause you to move the back with a lot of force, which is not what the back is made for. thus your hip is made for that. The back is really there to transfer the forces from the ground um, ground up through the body linkage. Or down from the arms through the hips through the back to the ground, so the the, uh, the back is like a way uh, a way station. It's there to transfer forces, not necessarily completely rigid, but with some mostly uh, stability. Uh, the hips are there to produce force. This is a big ball and socket joint. You got huge muscles. You you have really um, uh, basically twelve muscles surrounding just the hip the hip joint, Uh, the glute, two parts of the glute max, two parts of the glute medius, two parts of the glute minimus, and you have these six deep hip external rotator muscles, kind of like the rotator cuff muscles for the shoulder to help to keep the hip solid, uh, um, kind of uh, stable in the socket. So almost to, uh, I would say most people have weak or have bad vacs, they have often tight hip flexors um, that pull the front of the pelvis forward and so they crank on their back to get their center mass back um, over their base of support. Now the glutes' main job is to keep your hip in a in neutral position and not let the pelvis tilt forwards. And so that's the most, you know, so that's, that can be typical. Usually guys are more susceptible to this. Women tend to be kind of can can be sway back. They can kind of hyperextend their hips and they sway their lower, they sway their upper body behind uh, the hip joint, cranking on their lower back muscles um, just to, uh, because they're weak in the hips, uh, the glutes and that, by transferring the center of mass behind the hips, they don't have to work that hard. That hard. Mm-hmm. So that can be kind of like the, you know, you ever see the, uh, a woman push her hips. Forward and they kind of, the whole body sways backward a little bit. Yeah,
0: like a low, like in a low lunge or a crescent lunge, they're really yeah, like sinking yeah. into it. Yeah. They,
1: mm-hmm. Yeah. They kind of hyperextend their hips yeah. and they kind of, so, and also women tend to, tend to be more susceptible to that. Uh, what we we're talking about the glute medius and the ability to, uh, to stabilize the pelvis. Um, and that if your pelvis drops excessively, that adds a lot of rotational and twisting forces in your back. So you have to think back stable. Mm-hmm. not necessarily rigid it's, it's just uh, you tune the muscle the amount of muscle contraction to the task at hand most of the time it's a five to twenty percent maximum voluntary contraction it's occasionally sprinting lifting something heavy is you want to get more hundred percent or you can even hold your breath that's that's good to stabilize even more but for most of the time it's this you know, is, is how you coordinate the muscles to maintain enough stability in the back. Um, so, so like
0: in a vinyasa class, that would really, really be important in the transitions, like
1: transitions. You know, yeah. Yeah. Lowering
0: so, or coming off the floor, stepping a foot forward, rising yeah. up from that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So when you like, if you do have the warrior one or yes, one or high crescent lunge, you know, if you kind of just sink into that hip and you bring the arms overhead and you hyperextend the low back that's not that's not very that's not great so Mm um so if you know sometimes it's okay to you know it's so you want to open up the hips again some women are too too flexible in their in their hips and they can really hyperextend their hips but in general though you open up the legs it's a good thing and as you when you go up you bring your arms overhead keeping a neutral spine so mm-hmm. in, so in, you know a lot of that's can, you know you can be tight in the latissimus dorsi which are uh, it connects the low back to the shoulders you bring your arms overhead if you're tight there it will tend to hyper your back so is this but the general principles is a neutral spine right um, then I'll,
0: and, yeah neutral spine and 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 yoga can be um this is why this is redefining yoga is it's really trying to take um, what our body does, like what, w- knowing what the parts are supposed to be doing, which is, like you said, mostly stabilizing so that force can be moved through the, tr- through the trunk and yoga can glorify these very, very bindy positions. So in that regard, like there are people who've been doing this their whole lives. Like I look at, like, I remember um, our mom went to Mongolia and she showed yeah. me these videos of these really young girls who were brought up to from a very young age be contortionist like that's yeah. their job and they're starting like super young and they just can do these contortionist shapes what are your thoughts on their long term like if they've actually do they adapt to that or is it eventually going to is it are they eventually well, going to have some sort of back pain
1: i don't know I, I don't i haven't really i i don't know of any studies i would say that genetically asians tend to have uh, more flexible connective tissue. Is this a, a genetic? Hmm. Is a um, uh, may, uh, Caucasians tend to have stiffer collagen types of collagen. So, um, uh, of course, this is the, the average. Girls tend to have uh, looser uh, connective tissues, than guys and Asians um, tend to have looser connective tissue than Caucasians. Uh, Africans are somewhat in between. That's just the average, not. Not everyone, right? So um, that might play some part of it. Um, you know, yeah, I mean, you have to. A lot of time is aesthetically pleasing, especially with females. But you look at ballet with hyperextension, uh, gymnastics—not um, necessarily ballet, but gymnastics. I know mm-hmm. um, some of the poses. You know, you look at um, uh, Iyengar, and you look at some of the classic poses. Yes, they require a lot of spine flexibility. And he used to, and they, the belief was a flexible spine is a healthy spine. What we know is it's usually somewhere in the middle. So, mm-hmm. uh, a totally stiff spine is not healthy. A totally flexible spine is not healthy. It's a, it's a. Uh, it's kind of like the Goldilocks. You want uh, enough, <laughs> uh, you want it controlled too.
0: A yeah. lot. The, I mean,
1: the spine does control some of the impact of walking, running with by moving, but it's controlled. It's small movements. So, I would say. I mean, I haven't. Uh, I can say for sure that gymnastics, which is a lot of changing of the spine, the spine hyperextends, the spine flexes. They tend to get what we call pars interarticularis fractures. Where the bone is not like, you think the bone is like some, you know, rock or something that's, it's really flexible. The bone is quite flexible and you keep on, it's like a coat uh, hanger. If you keep on bending your coat hanger back and forth, you've certainly, you're going to start to change the shape and break it. So, um, so,
0: so long term... Going to those end ranges, even if that's something you've been doing for a long time, is, is probably not the best idea.
1: It's not mm-hmm. because whenever you get to an end range of something, you're 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 testing some of the joint structures. Either um, when you hyperextend the back, you're jamming the surfaces of the uh, facet joints together. Uh, when you're flexing too much, you're Stretching the, the tendons, uh, the ligaments between the vertebrae, the back of the disc. Whenever you're at the end range of something, neither do it violently where you go to the end range violently or just over time, just continuation. You're, you're, you're molding the tissue. You're really playing uh, the joints really like to be in the middle position and allow the muscles to control the. Uh, some the uh, the forces around. So I wouldn't recommend it. It looks kind of cool, some of the poses, but and it's somehow, yeah, you know, and there's there is this thing where it's authentic. Well, you know, they you know, they must know what they were talking about three thousand years ago. so it has to be good for you. but it really, you know, it, it's not. True. We, we 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 treat our body differently. Twenty five years ago, I mean, I've learned so much in the last twenty five years through research and everyone else that we're continually, just the nature of science, uh, we're getting closer, probably to what we should, right? Uh, what the body should do, and some of it's from an evolutionary perspective is helpful, but just research and seeing the forces and actually doing stuff like MRIs, we're in um, fourth plates where we can. Um, where we can actually measure the uh, using computer computerized technology uh, to where you can actually virtual bodies where you can really measure all the forces through the joint during different movements and you, you know you can measure shear forces the the, kind of the uh, shifting forces, so to speak, in the spine. You can measure the compressive forces. So we've learned that this, you know, the locus pose where both the upper body and the lower body are lift off the ground, you're on your stomach. Uh, I mean, it's been, it's been praised in physical therapy as a way to build strength in the back and yoga too, but you're adding uh, like 12,000 newtons of force on your spine. With the joints locked together, that's excessive. The
0: spine was not meant to get. You're talking a, about a very large locus, not like the low ones like we do, like where you kind of like yeah. the
1: uh, super. Uh, so so yeah, 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 with both the legs and the upper body's lifting, and the arms going forward. Y- yeah, yeah, or if you know, just
0: you really. I think sh- if you keep your pelvis on the floor and you're wrapping your glutes down, like not lifting, at, so that you're shortening your low back that but that you're just um the whole kind of posterior chain is working but but symmetrically it's not trying to get into a huge range but
1: yeah it's it's more the end range is when you're really yeah. lifting high which is and uh you really feel the back you can working. feel it it you feels feel like
0: it. squishy like it's, scrunchy scrunchy yeah yeah,
1: yeah it's uh that so those are the things that we know that when we when we've looked at the forces going through this and scientifically investigated all the forces going through the spine, it's tons of forces. Mm-hmm. And this and you know, you don't want to unnecessarily put forces through the spine when you don't have to. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, so that's the that's the you know that that's so uh, classical poses, um, some are good, some are bad, some need to be modified.
0: Everybody's like, which ones are good? Which ones are, I, you have no idea. Every, every time I go somewhere, people are like, which ones do you not teach Laura? And I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to have a whole episode on the, on the poses that I just think need to be redefined or, or scratched. Um, because again, I don't think that they are universally a great idea for most people walking right. in, even if you've been practicing yoga for a while. So we'll, we'll do that on another yeah. episode, but um, because John again has, uh, he has an Ashtanga background. Um, and can speak a little bit about that. But wow, that was some major anatomical terms. I'm hoping everybody stuck with us. <laughs> this is what I love about John. I just ask him a question and it's like 40 minutes go by because it's so in-depth. Re- this is where it's so great to talk to people who understand the layers. Um, there's no black and white. There's a lot of layers. And what John does is he takes information from uh, ver- a variety of sources, meaning modern-day athletes, researchers who are doing stuff with the brain, who are doing stuff uh, mapping in the body, and and then stuff from an evolutionary perspective, and then and then just knowing the anatomy really well. And he just come, kind of compiles all that, so it's a, a wonderful um, outlook. Uh, and I think let's just end on one last um, question here, and that is, um, what it, like what do you think about this statement? any movement that you can do is a good movement dot dot dot
1: uh well obviously that's not true
0: (laughs) 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 there are a lot of movements that
1: aren't good right correct movement is really important Mm. so it's is i most a lot of people we see are are very active Mm -hmm. now so it's not it's you know movement is good even something that's Movement is good for your cardiovascular, for your uh, all the you know uh, systems, diabetes, um, even cancer. I mean, staying still is deadly for the the, the body, all the all the systems. Um, except you can abuse your skeletal muscle, muscular system if you move poorly, and that's you know. So it's not about you know if you want.
0: I bring that up because I see, you know, and we're both physical therapists with decades of practice here, but I do see this is kind of a conversational thread uh, that people, you know, are teaching, a lot more people are teaching functional movement now. Um, that's a very, very trendy thing, which is awesome. But sometimes I've seen people say, hey, any movement is good. Like, if you can do it, that must mean your body is made to do it. And it's like, well, no, that's,
1: definitely that's not just true. not
0: true, people. Um, so... We will let's just drop that little bomb and talk more and about the that the devils next time. in the
1: details too. Devils I, in the detail absolutely. I've had so many people who say, "Well, I do this exercise, to be good for the glutes." And all you have to do is look at them do it and they're not using their glutes. Mm-hmm. You can touch them. Yeah. You can see, I mean, people it, it's there's no exercise it has to be done properly. Everything oh. has to be done properly. You got to feel in the right area. You have to So you can't look on the internet And frankly, some therapists don't see this either, Mm -hmm. Uh, but you have to really be, uh, be,
0: I always say I'm nagging. I love it because my people like will send me pictures and they're like, look at this. And I'm like, this is great. My nagging is really taking root, but I see that it helps. So pay attention to the details. Not all movement is optimal, but um, move for sure. And how about get that neutral pelvis going, get all of your core muscles, those all the 12 uh, muscles around the hip that he was talking about that stabilize this massive joint of movement. It's a ball and socket joint. It's it's a ball. It's made to move and it's made to generate forces. So keep the pelvis stable, get the hips moving, get your neck in line, people. We know that. And we'll have John back for many more questions. So make sure that you... Um, I'll first say goodbye to John. Yes, yes. <laughs> Come back for more. John is amazing. Um, but make sure that you write any questions that you would like me to ask John next time. Um, write me at podcast at com. Also, please share this episode and many more with friends and get them going on this movement for better movement. And take a screenshot of a review. Well, first of all, rate and review and subscribe. And then take a screenshot and send it to podcast at com for a free class link of really great, fun movement in all those ways that I was just talking about. So thank you again. Thank you, John. No, thank you, Laura. Um, it's I so fun to talk to you. Yes. Yeah, this is how we geek out and talk. So you're you're kind of listening in to our, our conversations. Um, have a wonderful day. Move well. And hugs and love to you.
1: Bye-bye.